0: Go ahead and turn in your Bible. We're still in Psalm, the Psalms. Psalm 122. Oh man, it's going to give me trouble today. So just a couple of things. Um, One is, um, I'd never get concerned, I haven't got, well we've only gone through a pandemic once. So, um, (laughs) but you guys have done a great job of going through a pandemic with a lot of grace for each other, so I really appreciate that. I know there's varying opinions on all issues that are on the table. Uh, I know that uh, for a fact, and uh, I can say with confidence how gracious people have been. So I really, I'm really, really thankful for that, because I know uh, many uh, churches that are being just torn asunder uh, over that, and so I'm thankful for that. So just wanted to say that to you. Um, Also, this will be my last Sunday to preach um, for the next five weeks, so uh, Hunter, we're having a baby this week, so Lord willing, yeah, yeah, you say that, you can come and hang out at my house in a couple of days, right, (laughs) Seth and Danielle, Um, (laughs) and Kendrick, who else has a baby? and then, so we, But we have some great men lined up to preach for us. So uh, Hunter will be preaching for us next week to close out the Psalms. He'll be bookending our preaching time. So he'll preach next week, and then he'll preach the last Sunday of September. And then we have a, a, a good friend of mine, Zach Albanese, who will be preaching. Uh, Jesse Holmes will be preaching. And then glorious grandfather, Roy Taylor. Google him. He's famous. Um, so kind of In my circles, he is. Uh, anyways, but... I. What a privilege. So these guys are great preachers, and so I'm, I'm excited that, that we'll be able to sit under their preaching in the next few weeks as well. So, Psalm 122. Let me read that for us. Well, actually, no, let me start with an intro to this. Because um, we are, we are ending, getting close to the end of our, of our study of the Psalms. Um, and then just in reading commentaries, there's... Uh, lots, of, lots of different things I read when, when studying the scriptures each week and preparing to preach. But one, one commentator in particular uh, kind of summed up the entire psalter, or kind of brought the entire psalter into perspective for me. And he wrote, he wrote these words. He says, he says, The whole of the psalter, that's what you call the collective book of the Psalms, the whole of the psalter is designed to provide a framework for God's people to approach the Lord properly in worship whatever may be their outside or inward life circumstance. That's what, that's what the, the Psalms are designed to do. This is, this is true for us uh, today as well. The, the entire book of Psalms is meant to, to turn your heart to God's heart. It's meant to turn your desires to God's desires. It's meant to turn your eyes away from yourself and toward the Lord. I don't know how many times that I've been stuck on my own self in uh, outward circumstances and things like that, and I've turned to the Psalms, and not having the words to be able to communicate that, and then turned to the Psalms, and the Psalms automatically give me those words in which to kind of refocus my, my life and my viewpoint. The Psalms do that for us. And today's Psalm is no different, as it will, I, I hope, guide your heart and mind to think differently about one of the main uh, pieces of of the Christian life, which is the church. Because as authors uh, Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen warn in their in their new book, Rediscover Church, which we're also getting free copies of, not 500 copies, but we will be getting free copies of as well in the next couple of weeks, uh, in their new book, Rediscover Church, they said right in the very beginning, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. A Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. In trouble. So, with that, let me read for us Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within the gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. Uh, yet again, uh, on, a, on a Sabbath day, God, I pray that you would speak to us from it. That you would allow us to have ears to hear. That you allow us, even with, with distractions that, that may be looming around us, whether they're present with us or uh, distractions that are to come this week and we know about them already, help, uh, help our minds um, to be settled upon what you have to say to us right now in these next few moments together. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So in a 2015 Time Magazine interview on his spiritual life, specifically talking about the church, uh, Justin Bieber said these words. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian, period. He goes on to say, which he should have stopped there, if you go to Taco Bell, that doesn't make you a taco. Now, no laughs for that, okay. Okay. But Justin Bieber is partly right here, okay? If you go to Taco Bell, it doesn't make you a Taco, okay? And just in case you're worried about that. But what I believe he gets wrong is his sentiment concerning church attendance not making you a Christian. Now, Justin Bieber has gotten older and matured. I, I think he's now a member of a church. Maybe several churches, I'm not sure. So his answer may be a bit different now, but I think his 2015 attitude still exists in the Western church. And that is, your love for the church, or lack thereof, isn't a direct reflection upon your love of Christ. It's kind of the attitude that we have. I I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. There was a popular book titled, that but let me just tell you you cannot love jesus if you don't love his bride the same is true if you don't love tara my bride you are not going to be able to love me we're one in the same and you cannot love jesus if you don't love his bride the church just, just, just like if you don't uh, love your body, your head will be affected. That's why there's a di- direct correlation between mental health and being active. One of those things, if you're, if you're struggling with depression or anxiety, one of, one of the things uh, hopefully doctors will tell you is, um, you know, you should probably get some exercise. You should probably get out and move because that affects your mental state same is true here in the church. To neglect the body is to neglect the head. And scripture tells us that we are the body and Christ is our head. This is currently reflected, this problem, this is is currently reflected in our nation as a church, as church attendance is on steady decline. So less and less people are not only not showing up for church on a Sunday, but are not actually joining a church or joining with a body of believers at all. So according to uh, the recent Gallup poll, which came out in March of this year, U.S. church membership fell below the majority for the first time ever in history. This is what they said. Quote, U.S. church membership was at 73%, when Gallup first measured it in 1937 and remained near 70% for the next six decades before beginning a steady decline around the turn of the 21st century. And now it has now dipped below that 50% mark. Now, now, then you can, I'm not sure if they threw in pandemic stats based on this, but I know there's other, other stats based on the pandemic uh, with church atten- attendance. One that I read was that one-third, since the pandemic, as much as one-third of churchgoers have stopped attending. Now, I, again, thank God that is not true at CTK. We actually increased in our attendance and membership, which is to the grace of God. Now the, these, these numbers are, there's a lot of factors with these numbers too. There's 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 an online presence, so people find that a lot more ease, a lot a lot more convenient to do that, and it's more comfortable just to stay home. Um, and and then some of it is just a general lack of religious affiliation. People just they're just not affiliating anymore with any religion, much less Christianity. So this reminded me uh, of uh, of something Francis Schaeffer said a long time ago that I think. We still need to fight for today, and I think this is. I think this is. This is where the problem lies. And, and Francis Schaeffer talked about having that a church, a healthy church, needs to have two things: orthodoxy, which is right belief, healthy belief, biblical understanding, good theology, all of those things that we kind of that we kind of are proud of as a church that we have that. But he also says that that at the same time you need to also have orthopraxy which is a word I think he made up, uh, which is right living, healthy living, good living, based upon the Scriptures. So orthodoxy and orthopraxy. I've read this quote before by Francis Schaeffer, and it's a little long, but I want to read it again because he says it better than I could say it. He wrote this. He says, The call of God is to simultaneously practice the orthodoxy of doctrine and the orthodoxy of community in the visible church. The latter of these we have too often but forgotten. But one cannot explain the explosive dynamite of the early church apart from the, uh, apart from the fact they practiced two things simultaneously, orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. Our churches have so often only been preaching points with very little emphasis on community, but the exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. And there is no better way, there is no other way, I should say that. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. This is it. There is no better way to show orthodoxy and orthopraxy off than in the local church. Because we are physically gathered together with others who, who live near us, uh, who, who know us, who hopefully know our burdens and we know their burdens. Uh, we, we, we are physically gather, gathered together so that we can use our gifts to build up those around us. That's what Ephesians tells us, that we use our gifts to build up and to strengthen the body of Christ and to push them towards the gospel. And hopefully I'm doing the same thing and using my gifts to build you up. Because there is something way deeper happening during gathered worship and joining a church than just kind of joining an organization so you can say, well, I'm part of that place. And there's way more to that than just showing up on a Sunday and receiving information and then going home and then coming back and doing it all over again the next week. There's way more happening. Because when we come together as a church, it's not that we decided... To, to get ourselves dressed and, and waltz, waltz in here to check off a box or to appease me, but it's cosmic. What we are doing right now in this small gathering, in this smelly school cafeteria on a Sunday in Augusta, Georgia, is cosmic. God is the one that calls us here to worship together, not me. God is the one who who cleanses you through confession of your sin. God is the one who assures us of his forgiveness in Christ over and over again. God is the one consecrating us right now with his word. God is the one who is is going to commune with us in the Lord's Supper. God is the one who, who who is going to commission us and send us out to glorify and enjoy him throughout the week. That's why the rhythm of gathering is so much more important than your your individual worship uh, will ever be because you're doing it in community. Uh, You need me, but I also need you, every one of you. And the same same can be said about yourself. The, The people around you need you, and you need them for your walk with Jesus. You need that. Your your husband or wife can't do that for you. Completely. Your kids can't do that for you. If you you put that kind of pressure on them, you will crush them. They they won't do it for you. You need the body of Christ. J.I. Packer said, he says that if you had to choose between personal devotional time, uh, like meaning like, oh, I'll just go and... go out and put my hammock up and go sit next to the river and read my Bible on a Sunday, that's way better for me. That's what I need today. J.I. Packer's saying, if, if that's what you have to choose between and corporate worship time, he says the latter should be chosen every single time, every time corporate worship should be chosen. Why? So Kevin DeYoung and Ted Cluck wrote a book, Why We Love the Church, and they, they coined this word, which I love. It's uh, decorpulation. Decorpulation, which is taken from the idea of decapitation, which is the separation of the head from the body. So decorpulation invokes the opposite. It's the separation of the body from the head, which is what we're guilty of, because Jesus never leaves his church, but we sometimes leave Jesus. So this warns us as Christians of the danger of separating ourselves from the body, both physically and spiritually. So what winds up happening when we do that is we wind up picking and choosing when we want to gather. So I'll go a few times a month or a couple times a month. Uh, we, we wind up uh, picking and choosing who we want to gather with. So we have that convenience now with technology. And we can watch whatever church service we want. But gathering with God's people to worship, it may not always be fun, but it should be anything but boring. Because we are involved in something that is both historically We've, we've just, we, we've, we've uh, affirmed our faith through a confession that is over 500 years old today, and we all, I think, agree with that confession. We affirmed our faith for that, so historically, we're involved with something throughout the ages, but we're also involved with something spiritually transcendent, that this little gathering that's taking place now is actually entering in together with the angels in in heaven and the saints that have gone before us who are worshiping God now alongside of us. That is happening right now in real time. During this time together. So what we have to do is we have to to reclaim the truth of what it means to gather together as the body of Christ. We have to, to push back on those things which seek to steal this from us. And I believe... Psalm 122 does that as it helps us reframe our posture as we go to the house of our Lord together, pursuing three things. So all that was intro. Three things. Joy, unity, and peace. Joy, unity, and peace. So the first thing that we are to pursue is joy. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. David writes, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So here we meet our author. He's not quite in the temple yet in worship. He's standing standing in this great city, and he's expressing his excitement, his joy of being asked to go along to the house of the Lord to worship. So a couple of observations from this. First is David's emotional response. His, his emotional response of joy. He's not stoic about this. He is joyful about this. So, so right off the bat, we are being introduced to an emotion. This, it might say gladness in your translation, but it's also translated joy. To an emotion that we probably don't, as often as we would like, associate with going to worship. I would guess, because we have a lot of young families in the room, but I would guess uh, there's exhaustion from a long week at work or just the hard reality of life. Anxiety about being around other people. I know that can be difficult. Annoyance at having your weekend interrupted because you're just like, man, I have to go or Kevin's going to call me or something like that, so I'm annoyed by that, so I'll, I'll just show up because of that. Frustration because you're having a hard time getting kids out the door. Maybe indifference because you had an argument with your spouse last night and it's still unresolved and you've come in here like that. And I'm not saying those are bad things to carry in here with you. The, the, Lord, can, the Lord can work through that and, and do a work in you during this time together, but but all of these are emo- emotions that could probably better describe your approach at times, if we're being honest. I know it's, it is for me. But David, what David is doing is he is helping us to, to reorganize the way in which we view this gathering. What, whatever may be happening internally or externally in our lives. And the reality is, we don't have joy. Joy doesn't come from us kind of uh, saying we have to go to worship. That's not where our joy is derived. That's the law, and the law is never going to bring you joy. It's only going to bring you heartache. So that's not that's not where we get joy. Joy comes when you recognize that you get to that you get to gather and worship God with the people of God. That's where that's where joy kind of begins. And, and how timely it is that uh, to, to look at our Af- Af- Afghan brothers and sisters who, who are seeking, still seeking to worship together. Now, they have always been under persecution. It is 99.9% of Muslim country. There has always been great persecution there. People are always being killed, persecuted, for the gospel in Afghanistan. This is nothing new. It's just a little bit heightened and a little, a little bit more newsworthy now. But even so, now that our eyes are open to that reality, and we kind of know what's going on over there, and there's actually persecuted Christians in the world, even in the face of obvious and deadly persecution, they still long to gather. And from what I can tell, I don't have any boots on the ground there. I haven't read any reports that I can, can, can necessarily um, um, trust yet. But, I, but from what I can tell, they continue to gather even if that means death so then we can kind of step back and i know we've been a lot of people have been doing this a lot and putting up memes and stuff on instagram and facebook but it is it's a real it's a real heart check because it is you kind of begin to question and say what keeps me from worship what keeps me from having joy it's not death it's not violent persecution It's a headache. It's tiredness, which is probably self-inflicted. It's a long week of being in school or being at work. It's anxiety. All of those things. And that's what keeps us. You see, David's joy came from recognizing that Jerusalem, although least among the cities around them, least among the countries around them, is the greatest amongst God and His people. Not because of anything in them, but because it's a city where the good news of the gospel reigned and where its its inhabitants see how the truth and reality of the grace and mercy of God in Christ changes everything. Everything. And this is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. And this is why it should bring us joy. This is why we should long to gather whatever may be happening in our life. It's a reminder that we get reminded every single week of what God says about who you are from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God says to us, his people, you are a chosen race. I chose you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we do when we gather. Imperfect people, Joyfully gathering with other imperfect people, simply because we are called together by God. So we should be able to get to the point, uh, to to a point at some level. It doesn't have to be perfect, and it won't be perfect, but at some level, to get to a point on Saturday night or Sunday morning, or in the car ride over here, or, or even while you sit and wait for the service to begin. To say, as David does in verse 1, I was glad, not annoyed, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Second observation from David's words is a question. Who is they? Who is they? David says, they were the ones who called me and said, said let us go to the house of the Lord. So there's, there's a, a, a plurality here. So who says to David, let us go to the house of the Lord? This is really important because, for one, uh, this Psalm 122 falls within this grouping of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. So the Psalms of Ascent were written specifically for God's people as they went up to worship. So they would sing these songs together, these psalms together or songs together. So they were written for that. They were written for the community of God's people to use as they went up to worship their Lord. So this was was the community of God's, this is who the they is here. This This was the community of God's people gathered around our psalm writer David and encouraging him to come to worship. They were imploring him to come to the house of the Lord can almost picture it physically picture it people standing around each other and saying come to the house of the Lord let us go up to worship together so this tells us this was not an individual on a pilgrimage by himself but a community coming together corporately to engage in a singular act of worshiping God together they were calling each other to come and worship we all need this sort of stirring up, me included. So a simple way, just a couple of simple ways to apply this would be to encourage, well, just one big way, is to encourage each other to gather for worship. If nothing else is, is you know, you're not, you know, COVID positive or anything like that, obviously, but if everything is going well, for the most part, to encourage each other to gather for worship. So, so may, this might look like, maybe it's a text The night before on a Saturday night. To text to that discouraged friend that you know is going through something difficult. And you know it's hard for them to be around other people. And you text them and say let us go up and worship the Lord together. Or maybe it's when you get here. Because we have a lot of babies kind of making noises. Which is totally fine. Totally fine. But maybe it's, it's when you get here and you, maybe you don't have kids, or maybe your kids are, are more well-behaved in that other family, and you can sit next to that young family and help them with their children instead of getting as far away from them as possible so that you won't be distracted. Maybe that's something you can do. This is a couple of practical examples. Here. And, and that's, that's, that's how we joyfully gather together. That's how, that's how we help others joyfully gather together. So, so we are kind of in, in kind of passing. We were saying, let us go up to the house of the Lord and worship. I will walk out in the hallway with your baby so that you can be in there with your wife. I, I, I'll text you the night before and just say, you, you need to come. You need to be with the body of Christ. And I'll, and I'll come and pick you up and we'll drive. We'll get coffee together and we'll drive there together. So that's the first. Um, the second aspect of the church David points us to is unity. Look at verses three, 3 and 4. David says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now David is describing the city of Jerusalem here for us. He's describing it as a, a well-built well-organized, and well-ordered city. And the reason he's doing this is he is using Jerusalem as an illustration to show how Jerusalem had a role in the unifying of the entire nation. Little old Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, because God was worshipped there, was the center of the world for the Jews, and its unity, and later we'll see that its peace, its, its unity determines what happens to its neighbors. So essentially, if Jerusalem is in disarray, if the place where God is worshipped is in disarray or not unified, that is going to directly affect the nations around them. And it's in Jerusalem that people from every tribe could go up and worship in the same place and know that he or she belonged to one united people. And so what, what Jerusalem was to the ancient Jews, the church is to the believers in Christ. So this applies to us. John Calvin said this, he says, The church can only remain in a state of safety when solidarity prevails in her. And when being joined together by faith and charity, she cultivates a holy unity. So I find Calvin's words to be quite true. As the church is called together to see itself as God sees it. And because of this, I'm drawn to unity because I care more for you than I do myself. Because I would argue that one of the most destabilizing tools that we yield as human beings, and what I believe continues to plague the American church, is selfishness. If you don't believe me, try this experiment sometime today. Ask yourself, when someone reaches out to me, or has plans that involve me, or may be in need for my church family, how often do my thoughts begin with myself? How is this going to affect my time? And this—this this is all. I'm not. This is not a shot at anybody else. This is all the stuff, stuff that is in my heart. These are the questions that I, that I come up with, for me personally. How is this going to affect my time? How is this going to affect my bank account? How is this—how is this going to affect my schedule? How is this going to affect my family? And on and on and on and on. The NIV translation of the Bible translates these particular verses as a city closely compacted together. Which is not David criticizing poor city planning. He's not not criticizing anything here, but he's, he's actually praising the visual of a city that is united together around one encompassing goal, which is the worship of the living God. That's what unites them. Not their own individual ways in which to worship or not their own selfishness. That's never going to, to unite anybody, but the worship of the living God. So David wants us to see this because this is what God wants to bring to reality in this local church. A unity that is, that is so beautiful and so attractive that people can't help but point to something outside of, uh, of ourselves For the reason. Even if they don't know who Jesus is. That it would be so beautiful and so attractive. That people would say. That is definitely not normal humanity. Something else is happening there. But unity is not something that that, that comes automatically. It's unity must be built. Unity must be pursued. Unity, Unity must be defended. It must be talked about. So think about the things that, that try to pull the church apart recently. And, and I said this earlier, not necessarily at CTK, but we are still, still tempted in every way. So we, we have to be careful of that. But, um, but mask versus no mask. And vaccinations versus no vaccinations. And then when it's a political year, man, political parties, the way we parent... All of, these, all of these, what we would say are not, not unimportant things, but, but when we, we start to draw the lines in that way, they become really silly. Really unimportant. Not things that we should break unity over with our brothers and sisters. I can tell you that much. Only the gospel, only the gospel can create a culture of unity of so many different people in so many different cultures where differences are crazy. If you've just been in another culture as an American, you go into these other cultures, you know the differences in cultures are crazy. And the gospel, the Bible says, is what unites every tribe, every nation, every culture. Only the gospel can do that. And this is what is being communicated in verse 4. Jerusalem is where the tribes, plural, the tribes go up together to give thanks to the Lord. So, so, so the earthly city, the church, represents in a small, incomplete way, the heavenly city known as the New Jerusalem. In John's heavenly vision, recorded for us in the New Testament. He makes this observation of the reality of heaven in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10. John writes, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every tri- every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can unite different tribes, different nations, different languages, different people. It is, we are not only speaking English in heaven. There is not only going to be uh, Americans in heaven or white people in heaven or anything of that nature. The Bible says John saw it. This This is a true story. This wasn't his imagination. This was a heavenly vision. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group is there. Period. And they're all saying the same thing. All saying the same thing. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and because this is a heavenly reality unity amongst God's people in this way has to be an earthly reality as well remember acts acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 i think is the greatest earthly example for us of what this heavenly unity looks like within the local church and this is this is not something that's beyond us this is something that we should be pursuing with the help of the Holy Spirit. So Acts two forty two through 47 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This sort of unity doesn't happen on accident. They, they, they had to push themselves to be together. There was different... There was different uh, people groups meeting here as well. We, we see it later on in Acts, uh, just a racial division that begins to pop up even within the church. So, this is something that is, that is forged amongst people who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unity is something we should pursue. And as we pursue this kind of unity with, with each other, you can't help but have this final aspect that David speaks of, which is peace. Look at verses 6 through 9. David writes, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So David recognizes that because Jerusalem is the center of the world, its peace, or lack thereof, directly affects those around them. So what that says to us is that what we do here on Sunday and what we do in our life together throughout throughout our weeks does not stop here after we leave here in just a few minutes. It doesn't stop. The, The places you go and the people that you interact with on a daily basis are directly affected by your life, whether you like it or not. They are directly affected by your life, and I would also say they are directly affected by our life together. So, if there was disunity here or disharmony here, there was no peace here. That is going to overflow into uh, into our neighbor's lives. It'll happen. I've seen it happen. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus reminds us of this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know. Tim Keller says this. um, He writes, "When, When we come to faith in Christ, we become citizens in the heavenly Jerusalem. Shelby read that for us in Hebrews 12. The manifestation of that heavenly and future city is... The counterculture of the Christian church. The manifestation of the heavenly and future city that we read about in Hebrews 12 and in, uh, in Revelation 21. What we just read about, the manifestation of that is the counterculture of the Christian church. What we are doing right now a society where the world can see human life lived according to God's will. That is huge. So how do we accomplish this? Well, like David, who prays for Jerusalem's peace, we pray for the peace of the church. David says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Pray for the peace of the church. May they be secure who love you. Simple prayer. Because as the church is like Jerusalem, as God's people, we should pray for its peace. And specifically the peace of your local church. There's nothing selfish about that. But to pray for the peace of your local church as well and to, and to pursue it. To praying against dissension. And praying for her protection and fruits. I just read a tragic story this morning of, of a historic church that you guys know about, I'm sure if I were to say it, that is being torn apart. Through dissension, praying for her protection and fruit. Second, David says that we should pursue its peace, and we should pursue its peace by resisting individualism and cynicism. We live in a culture that caters to our inner narcissist and our inner cynic. The sheer fact that, that the word selfie continues to be used in our culture, and now this word influencer is being used in our culture more and more, should tell us this. That should be our trigger or our red flag to this. But it also runs very deeply in our churches. I've told this story before, but I, was, um, I had the gift of eavesdropping. So I was in Starbucks, and I could it's, I just defend myself in this. She was pretty loud, okay? Uh, on talk, she was one of those people talking on her phone really loudly, and she was sitting right behind me, but she was talking about a church that she had visited locally, and so I just, my ears perked up, and she said something along the lines of this. If I, do, if I get something out of it, so I guess the person on the other end said, well, did you, w- did you like it? Will you go back? And she said, if I get something out of it, I guess I'll go back. If I can get something out of it, I, I guess I'll go back. Now, essentially what this sentiment is is, is, is if this does not directly benefit me and my life, I, I won't do it, or I will make a fuss about it or try to manipulate things to make them work for me. This is individualism at its finest, and we must resist it at all costs to maintain the peace of the church. We also have to resist cynicism as it's very easy to allow ourselves to begin to, to feel cynical or to feel bitter through a bad experience with, a, with another church or, or, or when we've been hurt by people that we have covenanted with. And let me just say, that will happen. And I tell people that when we have member interviews. I, w- I will offend you. you. You will get upset with me. Um, and I'll get upset with you. Uh, you'll get upset with other people in, in this body. You'll get annoyed by them. Those things will happen, but that does not mean that we break, we break fellowship over that. That means we have to work even harder to pursue that peace with those brothers and sisters that might do that to us every once in a while. Because if we allow that to take root, we will lose peace just like that. So a way to fight against this just one application here, is to be quick to confess your own sin because whatever conflict that you may be having with somebody else, you're you're a broken individual too. You, You have sin that you have probably brought to the table as well. So be quick to confess, but also be quick to forgive. No matter how badly you have been hurt, be quick to forgive, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive others. I don't know if you looked at the reflection quote by Brendan Manning right there in the front of your worship guide. We put reflection quotes in there every week. But, um, but I, this was an interview that he did with Christianity Today some years back. But it, I think it, it, it sums up what the psalmist is trying to get across. And I'm going to read the, uh, more of the quote than I have there. But he says this. Brendan Manning was, was a, a a priest recovering alcohol. He's a really broken man that has just, had just understood grace, the grace of God in his own life, and um, r- wrote uh, lots of books. But he, um, but he says this. He says, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, nor between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. And then the, the quote goes on. Uh, when somebody is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful, and that makes us joyful. So when we are aware that the Father loves us the same way He loves us, jesus then and he does he loves you the same way that he loves his only son the father loves you that way when we are aware of this then and only then will we be joyful then then we will be able to say with david with no reservations i was glad when they said to me let us go to the house of the lord those who are aware that their greatest hope is in what Christ has done for them and on the cross and nothing else and recognizing that fact that this truth and reality is what gives us the privilege of being the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for calling us together as your people. Thank you for loving us in a way that we've never been loved by anybody else in the entire world, uh, nor will we ever be loved in the way that you love us. That causes us to have joy, that causes us to have unity amongst people who are so different from us, that causes us to be pursuers of peace because we know the peace that you have given us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.